First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, page 1192 in the Pew Bible. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the truth faith to the Gentiles. Amen. Well, do let's uh, take our Bibles, if we have one uh, close to us, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, those verses that we read earlier, uh, page 1192, if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, 1192, 1 Timothy 2, uh, those first seven uh, verses. Here's a question for us just to think about uh, as we begin. What could we do, what should we do as a church, as a congregation, in order that we might please the Lord? How, we, how might we please the Lord? All sorts of things. I'm sure that we could answer to that. Have that little question in your mind for a moment or two, and we'll think uh, about one suggestion at least uh, towards the end of our, our time in this passage. L l let me, as we start, read to you a Charles Coulson's parable of the life-saving station. If you're here in Hill Street more than about three or four years, you'll have heard me do this before but it certainly bears uh, repeating. It challenges me every time I hear it. On a dangerous sea coast, here we are, dangerous sea coast. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station, a lifeboat station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought to themselves, and they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. This wonderful little life-saving station saved many lives, and so it became famous. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding area, wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and their effort and their money in support of its work. So new boats were bought, and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew, and some of the members of the life-saving station were uh, unhappy that the building was so crude and, and poorly equipped, and they, they felt that a more comfortable uh, place should be provided as a first refuge for those who were saved from the sea. And so they replaced the hard emergency stretchers with beds, and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And so they, they decorated it beautifully and uh, exquisitely because uh, they were beginning to use it as some sort of club. Few members were interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. 
The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's, club's decoration, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews did their job, and they brought in lots of cold and wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and, and the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club so that uh, people who were the victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up a little bit before coming in. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social activities of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as being their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were still, after all, called a life-saving station. They were finally voted down. And they were told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in these waters, then they could set up their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station down the coast experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved, too, into a club. And yet another life-saving station was formed. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most people drown. There ends Charles Coulson's parable of the life-saving station. It's a a story that, that really helpfully illustrates a danger that any church, any congregation faces. And that is that it would, it would turn in on itself. And it, it would neglect a, a, an eye out to the world around it. And it would turn into itself simply to, to begin to serve its own desires and, and meet its own sort of perceived needs. And all sorts of things can push a church that way. The desire, as we see illustrated in this story, just to think of your own wants, that can be a powerful driver towards that end. But another thing that tends to turn a church in on itself is false teaching. Because often, along with false teaching, goes controversy and disputes, which, which very naturally and almost inevitably tends to, to turn the church's eyes away from the lost and, and into its own problems. And that, it seems, was, was part of the situation in Ephesus. The, the false teachers, remember we've said this already in the evenings, the false teachers that Paul had warned about as he'd visited the elders at the beach at Miletus just a number of years earlier, he, they, they had risen up just as Paul had warned, and they had, as it says in chapter 1, verse 4, promoted speculations. And so the church had sort of turned in on itself. And in this section, Paul seeks to turn their eyes out again. They are to have a wide global vision. And they are to express that through prayer. One of the key 
words in this passage is all. I don't know if you noticed that as John read it. It's, it's maybe even clearer in the ESV. So here, for example, verse 1, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse 4, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So, so this is what we're going to think about tonight, a, a church that, that prays, and here's where we're going, a simple little outline, pray for all, for the heart of God is for all, and the gospel is to go to all. Pray for all, the heart of God is for all, and the gospel is to go to all. So, first of all, pray for all. Look at verse 1 again. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. First of all, well, as we know, that can mean first on the list or of or, or first importance. Now, it's hard to say exactly what that means here, but either way, it is clearly saying that prayer is a basic duty of the church. And it is prayer that prays for, as it says here, all people. Now, we'll say a bit more about this in a moment, but we've seen before sometimes that when the Bible uses all, it means everybody in the whole world. But sometimes it means all types of people, and that's at least a possibility that we should keep in our minds as it's talking about that. People without restriction, not just one small set of people, not just the club, but all, all people. Now, the scholars have, have debated what these different types of prayers represent, prayers, supplications, intercessions. It's not particularly clear that there's a tremendously distinct distinction between them. We don't really maybe uh, have the ability to see exactly what Paul was getting at there and the distinctions between them. But it's clear that they're all asking, they're all calling on, on God for something, supplications, prayers, intercessions. And along with them, thanksgiving. So Paul says, I want you to be a church that does lots of asking, lots of thanking, lots of praying. This is what you're to do. Now, it's a great thing to have a prayer meeting. We just come from a prayer meeting before the service. Uh, Wonderful just to hear people together calling out upon the Lord. But it looks like in this chapter, the particular focus of Paul's thinking is not a special time for prayer, but the, just the, the church gathering. It's, it's public worship. And so prayer, like this, is a, a key aspect of what the church does as it comes together. I think it's, this has shifted my thinking a little bit this week as I've seen this. And then you notice that, that, that Paul singles out one of the groups under that all people. You see how he says, for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for the authorities, he says. Pray for those who rule. Pray for those who shape the land. Pray for those who shape the culture in which you live. 
Now, there's a particular purpose. It's not just enough to say that. There's a particular purpose in mind. You see that he goes on, that we may live, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, this is not asking that Christians would just be given peace to pursue a sort of a middle-class lifestyle, a barbecue every few days and trip to the beach at the weekends. No, he's, he's asking for prayer that something specific might be provided, and that is that the, the conditions might be provided in which believers might live out their lives peaceably and in a godly way, and that the context would be provided so that the Word of God would spread. This is about the progress of the gospel. It's about evangelism. There are certain conditions, you see, that enable the flourishing of the witness that God intends. Now, we know that, that, that God can grow His church in the midst of the most terrible positions. We, we heard that this morning in lots of ways. Sashko talking about the last time he was here and, 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 and praying for a, for a team, and now they have a team, and the church has grown immensely in, in, in uh, number and, and size and so on. And, and why? Because of the most incredibly difficult situations in Ukraine. God can build His church in the most dreadful of circumstances. And we know that, that, that as people have said in the past, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's true. But it seems that that's quite, not quite the ideal. Because while God can grow his church in the midst of the most terrible conditions, the ideal seems to be that it grows in such a way that people are able to live out godly lives and influence those around them for the gospel. You might have heard, if you know anything about early Roman history, you might have heard this term Pax Romana, the peace of, of Rome. It existed at the time of the birth of Christianity, and, and many saw it as, or see it as a, a gift from God that enabled the churches to flourish. But before this, Europe was largely segmented, and, and, and you, didn't, you could only go a few hundred miles, and then you'd be into another kingdom, and there'd be a war, and, and you couldn't travel easily, and so on. And, and, and Rome united all of the sort of the known European world, and so the gospel was able to spread. Paul and was able to do his missionary journeys and so on. And Paul is saying, pray, pray for those who, who influence the world around you, that, that the conditions for gospel witness might be provided. Now, of course, those leaders who Paul is mentioning here were not particularly sympathetic to Christianity. In fact, there are times whenever they were incredibly hostile. Very soon after this, maybe even uh, towards the, 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 the Nero was perhaps very soon to be on the, the throne of, of uh, Rome, and, and he would soon be covering Christians in tar and setting them on fire, throwing them to the, the beasts in the Colosseum. And, and yet Paul asks for prayer, for good leadership, even for, from pagans, so that Christian living might be demonstrated, so that people might come to know the Lord. It's like they see the verses 3 and 4 that speak of salvation. 
the watched life that leads to people engaging with Jesus. It's similar to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Make it your ambition. Chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Some of you are going into places through this week where there's great skepticism about Christian things, where some of your colleagues would be pretty horrified if they knew some of the things that that you believed. And and perhaps there are are people there whose, whose questions you would find really difficult to answer. But what cannot be denied is a godly and a dignified life, a a life that's just full of Jesus. And so you'll know that that, uh, Rico Tice will say now in London, it's it's, it's, uh, almost necessary. You can't just put on a Christianity Explored course. You've got to have someone reading the Bible with a trusted friend for a number of weeks before they'll even consider coming to a Christianity Explored course. The quiet and dignified life that just begins to win people and break down the barriers and, and, and move things along towards the cross. So we're, we're, we're coming together and as part of our worship, we pray for all kinds of people. We have a vision that is high and, and wide and, and far And we're praying that conditions might be provided in which the gospel can spread and the church would be built. Lord, we we cry to you for our land. We cry to you for those who govern it. We we pray that that as they make decisions, that the context might be provided, that the church would flourish and and the gospel message would go forth, that hearts would be softened. Paul is encouraging us to pray big, wide, ambitious prayers. Lift your eyes, church. John Stott, in his commentary on First Timothy, tells this little story. He says, Some years ago I attended worship in a certain church. The pastor was away on holiday, and an elder led the pastoral prayer. He prayed that the pastor might enjoy a good vacation, which was fine, that two lady members of the congregation might be healed, which was also fine. We should pray for the sick, he says. But that was all. The intercession can hardly have lasted 30 seconds. John Stott says, I came away saddened, sensing that this church worshipped a little village god of their own devising. There was no recognition of the needs of the world and no attempt to embrace the world in prayer. See, that sounds like the prayers of a club, doesn't it? And it's not what Paul was calling this church to. What a great little picture of this church in Ephesus. As it gathered, perhaps people would have walked past and not noticed it. And yet there it is. It's, it's to be calling for God's work to progress across the known world. For, for the emperor and the governor and the authorities to be so overruled in their thinking and their decision-making that the causes of Christ step forward, that the conditions are, are met where the, the gospel is able to, to take root easily in society. 
a little church that no one would notice, praying big, wide, ambitious prayers. Lift your eyes, church. Do we believe that prayer changes such things? Some of you will remember the Berlin Wall coming down. 9th of November, 1989. Great trivial pursuit question. I was a student at the time, and I remember watching on television. And I didn't know that in the May of that year, six months earlier, just read the story this week, six months earlier, people had gathered in Berlin on the east side of the wall at the historic St. Nicholas Church place that had figured highly in the Reformation. And, and a little group of people began to read the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and soon more people joined them. And they moved into another room, and then they moved into the main part of the church, and, and then they spilled out into the square outside the church. And the communist government started to send spies in and threaten the people with imprisonment and, and all sorts of punishments and so on. But they, they, they weren't to be stopped And by October of that year, there were 2,000 people. On on the nights that they met to pray, there were 2,000 people in the church and 10,000 people outside the church in October. And on the 9th of November, there were people dancing on the Berlin Wall. Pray for all people. Pray big, wide, ambitious prayers. We should, we should, John's going to pray at the end of the sermon. We should approach that with excitement. What is God going to do? I heard someone speaking on Revelation 5 this week, that wonderful passage that talks about the purposes of God and only the lion of Judah, the lamb, the lamb who was slain, Only he is able to fulfill them. Only he's able to carry out the purposes of God. And in the midst of Jesus doing the work of God, it says this, Revelation 5, verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood You ransomed people for God. In heaven, as the purposes of God are being enacted, right in the center of that, there are the bowls of the prayers of God's people. Our prayers today will be gathered into heaven. And and we don't understand how this works. We want to say, Lord, how does that work? Why do we need to understand how that works? God has told us to do it. He's he's shown us by this picture that, that that our prayers are woven into his purposes, that not one of them is wasted. So we get on with it. Pray for all people. Pray big, wide, ambitious prayers with an eye to the progress of the cause of God. Now, why do we do this? Well, it should be enough, of course, for us to, to say, well, God has told us to do it. But, but he also indicates that, that this is his, his heart, if you like. This is his intention, his purpose, his will, his nature. Because the second little thing we're going to say is, pray for all, for the heart of God is for all. We'll not take so long on this. Verse 3, this is good 
and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is one of those verses that people have debated over. The Bible teaches that God is in control of all things. He's the sovereign king. And so in what sense can we say that God wants something that he does not get? Because it's very clear, even in other parts of this letter, that not all are saved. And of course, the Bible says that that those who ultimately are saved are saved because God has chosen them. How does all of this fit together? Some people, like John Stott, says that, that the Bible just sets out these sort of two things side by side, that there are these creative tensions in the Bible and antimony, uh, where, where the two things that don't quite fit together and human limitations have to be held together because the Bible teaches them both. Now, now that's a possibility, but it might not be the case here. Sometimes, uh, as we suggested earlier, all doesn't mean all in the Bible. But here, rather than mean all individuals, it means all types of individuals. In actual fact, that, that seems to be the way we need to take many of the alls in this chapter. They refer to all types of people. You see, the, the, the false teachers were, were emphasizing that God was only interested in their little group, in the club. And Paul says, no, 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 all types of people, all people. So Calvin says here, the apostles' meaning here is simply that no nation of the earth and no rank of society is excluded from salvation since God wills to offer the gospel to all without exception. You see, however we're to understand this, we must be clear, it is the expansiveness of God's interests that are being emphasized here. God so loved the the world that he gave his one and only son. The good news is to be offered to all. Paul emphasizes that here by reminding us that God has given us a savior. You see verse five, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So this is a really important verse, one of those verses we should learn. It speaks of Christ's exclusive position. There's only one way to God. God has provided one way, one way only. But what is specially emphasized here is that Jesus gave himself for all. You might want to say again, all types of people. But the focus again is on the, the wideness of God's mercy. Pray for all people because the heart of God is for all people. He's not, he's not limited. He's not clubbish. And Jesus came to give himself that the gospel might go to the ends of the earth. Pray for all, for the heart of God is for all. And then the last thing, and the gospel is to go to all, or perhaps the gospel is going to all. Because look at what Paul says about himself, verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So you think of what's being said here. Paul is saying, you've got to pray for all people because that's the heart of God. And it's actually, he says, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm a very illustration of this point. I'm an illustration of the heart of God. I'm an illustration of his purposes because God has sent me to all people, to the Gentiles. The good news, of course, exploding out from the cross 
to the ends of the earth. And Paul was taking it. You know, whenever Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road, stopped him in his tracks, he was, he was snuffing out the church. He was, he was squashing the work of God, as it were. And, and Jesus met him. What was Jesus doing? Was he just making an example of him? Was he just showing his power and saying, look at what I can do with someone who's absolutely opposed to me? Well, partly, but, but also he was calling Paul because he wanted all people to be in his heavens. People from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. Jews and Gentiles who would come to know him. And so later in that chapter, in Acts chapter 9, it says of Paul, he, and God says of Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You see, the heart of God is for all. And it's demonstrated in his calling of Paul to be an apostle to the corners of the world. Pray for all. The heart of God is for all. And the gospel is going to all. Let me take you back to verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Do you know, I've, I've read this wrongly, at least I think I have read this wrongly for a long time, and I thought it was the quiet life that was good and pleasing to God. Probably because the quiet life is good and pleasing to me. But it's the praying church that's good and pleasing to God. What would it be then to be a church that is pleasing the Lord? What does that look like? Heartfelt worship? Absolutely. Obedient hearts? Of course. Costly commitment to the truth wherever we go this week? Absolutely too. All of those things. But this certainly, a church that though people might walk past it and think that nothing is going on, is calling to the God who is the maker of heaven and earth and asking him to create the circumstances and situations whereby the gospel might go forward, where we might be carriers of good news to people, where our lives might make a difference so that people would come to know him and that he would be glorified. This, Paul says, is good and pleasing to him. Pray for all that the heart of God is for all and the gospel is to go to all.